what you know about it. It's the stool, baby. Got the knees and plus. Young stool, baby. And the room a lot. Hello, hello, you're listening to The Stew. My name is Jason Stewart, this is my fifth podcast. Say hello, Andre Conoparo. Hello. My brother Chris Stewart is not here because he's getting drunk in Palm Springs at a wedding. Wedding R.A.P. But we have one guest today, Matt, or Matthew, or Matt? Either is fine. People call me Matt, but I like Matthew. Matthew, Matthew it is. Kang, K-A-N-G, Kang, uh, who is the L.A. editor of Eater.com. Yes. Is that or correct? Eater. We just call it Eater now. Just Eater. Yes. Eater. Because we're, we're a publication. We're working on our branding here. Yes, exactly. We're no longer a blog. We are a publication. Oh, good. So that, I mean. That's what they're telling us. That's, that's the way it's going in 2015. Yeah. You know, we're trying, to, we're trying to grow up a little bit. We're not the TMZ of food anymore. No. You're, you're trying not to be. Trying not, not to be. Trying our best. I mean, I still walk around with a big camera and, <laughs> you know, I see a chef and I'm like hiding in the bushes and everything. <laughs> It'd but, be amazing if they all ran from you like, no, yeah. not Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> you, you spend a lot of time at LAX in the baggage, <laughs> baggage plan. Yeah, for sure. Ludo, Ludo. What are you yeah. eating today? <laughs> I, see you little, I freak out if I see like, I don't know, like some actual celebrity. I'm like, who's that? <laughs> yeah. Don't care. Yeah. Well, you, um, so you do that, and that's your full-time gig. Yes. But you've obviously been into food for a long time, I'm assuming. Yes. I don't know your story of how you went from you to this esteemed position. You know, it's not... It would, you, started, not you started out with the, the, the crumb, crumb knife. Yeah. Plus, <laughs> you, I'm assuming you started as a dishwasher and you worked your way up? Uh, I wish I did. Um, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned Ludo, though, because I actually worked for him temporarily for like a month during his earlier pop-up. And really? when I did that, like I had which, which zero... Uh, Ludo Bites 4. Okay. And this is in 2009. Okay. And um, this is when I was transitioning from being a banker, which is what I was doing after college. Oh, wow. uh, and I was just... Strange for a Korean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely, my parents were like, what are you doing? I mean, you know, but 2009 is when like the market fell off and... Mm-hmm. It was just a shitty time. It was to be anyone's in. guess for what yeah, was going to be. Yeah, I was. I'm like, I'm not going to sit at my desk and just crunch numbers for, you know, whatever, fifty hours a week. Mm-hmm. So I kind of roamed around and um, randomly, I I ran into Ludo and he was like, "Hey, you know, I'm doing another podcast or not not podcast. Shoot, I'm doing another pop up. I'm doing another pop up and I need some help." And I was like, "Okay," and I was thinking maybe. Hey, I could go stage in the kitchen, you know, chop some onions or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, actually, I need some help in the front of the house. And I'm thinking, I've never been a server before. I've never, you know, been a barista. I've never served anyone except for in my house. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a disaster. <laughs> it was <laughs> terrible. Were you were you actually a server? I was. I was. Okay. A ser- I mean, you know, and they, you know, it was a pop up, so. Everybody did everything. I was a busser and runner, and everybody just yep. did everything. It is a team effort. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because the other two servers that I worked with, you know, they, they were really good servers and they had experience, but they had no idea. Like, they didn't know anything about the food world. They didn't know bloggers oh. and writers. Like, you know, one night Jonathan Gold came in, and, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, you know, that's Christine and Ludo are like, oh, there's Jonathan Gold. And 
the servers are like, who's that? Mm. They don't even they don't care. You know, they're just they're just doing their job, yeah. and I'm there just trying to. I don't know, experience this whole world of restaurants yeah. and, and, uh, I was terrible. I was the worst. I would always like pour wine in like the wrong cup because people would bring like five bottles of wine and try to drink it all. And, and I'm just like, they all look the same. I don't know what to do. Uh, and at the end of the night, I mean, I get like hundreds of dollars in tips <laughs> because people are sitting there and they're like geeking out over Ludo and they're like, let's, let's just get the whole menu. So they're mm-hmm. spending like $200. Right yeah. or or more, yeah. and I get twenty to twenty five percent, and that's when I realize I'm like it doesn't matter how good of a job you do, right. like, people are just gonna tip you mm-hmm. if they like you, yeah. or if they're just happy to be there. They just want to be there and support yeah. Ludo, yeah, or yeah. support a pop up, right? And and you know it's funny because Chrissy Ludo's wife came up to me afterwards, and um, she was like, you know, you're making more money than me and Ludo. Whoa. I was like, I don't know whether to feel guilty. Or I'm just right. like, I'm sorry. But uh, I mean, I, maybe that's just because he was doing it for the attention or to build up some hype. Sure. But yeah, I mean that that it's one of those things where where when you're in that situation, I feel like it's not good to say you're making more money than us. But like you, they knew they knew going in that a server is going to make work on tips, and you can't take that away from them. Right. But I it's mean, just you know- going to make you feel kind of shitty. I mean, yes and no. I mean, I needed the money, so I mm-hmm. didn't. And, you know, after taxes and everything, it was still not a lot of money. Because right. I was only doing, like, two shifts a week. Right. But it's funny that now in this year, like, one of the biggest conversations about the restaurant industry is service charges and tipping. And mm-hmm. that's just a huge topic. Yeah. And and I, like, looking back, wow, six years ago, like, it was a big deal then, too. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I've I've been more conscientious about, like, when I go to a restaurant and I'm like, I just like to tip 15%. I'm, and that's not me trying to be a jerk or a cheap ass. Like, I have to go to like 10 to 15 restaurants a week. Right. I pretty much eat every single meal out. Yeah. And so for me to like Tough gig. tip 25% on every single, I mean, I would, I mean, I already spend a shit ton of money on food. But yeah. I would have nothing. Totally. Right. Um, right. So, you know, I think that if you do a good job, like, I, I feel like growing up, like when I was going to restaurants with my parents, They'd be like, you know, 15% is like good. And if they do an extraordinary job, then you can do 20. And then for right. some reason, it became 20%. Yeah. 20% is a new normal. And now it's like, oh, you got to give 25 or 30. And I think like pushing that, oh, you have to tip more and more and more, right? Is it's just creating a bigger problem because then servers like myself, I was a crappy server and I'm making all this money. And there's cooks in the back that are making $10 an hour, or yep. $11 an Absolutely. hour. They're working just as hard as I am, if not harder. Probably harder, actually. I mean. <laughs> it's a very confusing... And then the bubble will pop. Yeah. But it's very confusing how it's all laid out and how people are paid and expectations. And, you know, there's laws against pooling tips in California, you know, with the entire rest- you know, the entire staff front and back house. I had a friend who worked at a restaurant who got in trouble for doing that. It was like... <clears throat> it was a restaurant, kind of a hippie restaurant that ran on this policy for like 15 years. And it just and everybody was happy with it. And the cooks were really happy, and the servers were happy. And it was like you know, it took one disgruntled waitress who got fired for being horrible and showing up drunk on her shifts to then like file a lawsuit, and then OSHA Terrible. came in and then like shut all that down. But it's it's really confusing how quickly that can change or the imbalances in a restaurant. Yeah, and you know I've always like you know when I travel like in Asia and everything, there's no tips. You know they don't have yeah. that culture. I remember when I, I went to China like in 2003 and. You know, everywhere when I was just tipping, I mean, also, you know, the dollar was a lot stronger. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, it's just a dollar. And people were just confused. 
you know, even the <laughs> cab drivers are like, why are you giving me another dollar? Or, you know, eight, eight RMB. Or I have no drugs. RN. I have no drugs. <laughs> and I was just like, I don't know. I feel guilty just leaving. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's going to happen more. You know, it just pricing is just going to have to include service. Yeah. And, um, you know, we just have this like system of, it's, it's, it makes, it, it really demeans you, right? It's like, or it devalues you as a customer. You're like, oh, you're just a method for these people to, to get tips from, right? Right. And, um, and so you, it's just like this performance. And I don't think that, I don't, I don't go to a restaurant thinking, oh man, like how well is my server going to serve me? Like I'm going to mm-hmm. give sure. them 20% if they're good. Like you're going to be an American Idol judge and you're just sitting there like, all right, let's see what you got. Right. And it's just, it's horrible. So I think I've heard you say out loud two servers at restaurants sitting down <laughs> to a meal, which is interesting. 18.5 for you. <laughs> Not your best work. And, I, and, you know, and it's funny in Asia, I mean, your meal's already dirt cheap, like mm-hmm. five bucks, right? Yep. And you're pretty much just going to get shitty service or like the base <laughs> level, but you don't care because you, you're not going to tip it's them. It's part of the deal. Right? Yeah. And I'm, I like that. Yeah. Know? Usually when I go to like, I mean, a lot of Asian restaurants, like if you're not used to it, like you you have to like yell and flag totally. people down and wave your hand. Yeah. And, yeah. and you and don't have the eye offended. contact thing at a Thai restaurant. You're not, you're not like trying to like, <laughs> you know, do this, you know, looking him in the face. No, you're just like, hey, over here, mm-hmm. need yeah. some noodles. And that's, they don't care. They're like, yeah. yeah. Cool. Now I know you need something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no pussyfooting around it. <laughs> so I, so I like th- that. So do you think that we should get into a no tipping world? I mean, that's ideal, but it's just so ingrained in our culture. You know, it's the guilt. It's this. It's this made up guilt. I think, right? Like you go to a place and and you know that this person's making minimum wage, or in some states they're making way less. They're making like four dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, and you don't want to screw over their their way of living, and and I actually I feel this a lot actually because um I, you didn't mention it but I actually own an ice cream shop, uh, it's called Scoops West Side, mm-hmm. and oh. um we big Scoops fan yeah and yeah me too <laughs> uh it's interesting because I have employees that work there but I also work there myself and we get a lot of tips I mean on a busy Saturday it's like a hundred and fifty dollars in tips right so like fifty cents a dollar at a time. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, in one sense, I'm just doing my job. I'm just scooping an ice cream. Right. Right. But right. I'm also helping them in a way because uh, if you don't know scoops, like the, the flavors are changing all the time. So people want to sample a lot of different things. Yeah. yeah. So I, I mean, feel that's like, kind of all ice cream culture nowadays. Right. Every place you go, you get four little spoons and then you make your decision. Right. Kind of thing. So that's why, like, if, if somebody comes in, they're like asking me, like, what do I, you know, what do I, what do I like? Like, what should they taste? I'm providing a little bit extra service, right? So then I get tips. But I'm also conflicted about it because I'm thinking as an owner, right, why don't I just charge more money and, you know, off, you know, make more money on the ice cream and just not have tips and then pay my employees more, pay them $15 an hour, right? right? Like, <clears throat> why, why take away that awkwardness and that, you know, like, oh, I mean, it's easier now because Square is just this iPad, you just push a button, okay, 15%. Mm-hmm, and, right. and a lot of people are happy to do that. But as an owner, I'm also thinking, can I just charge more money? Like, obviously, you were willing to pay five dollars for that scoop instead of three fifty. That's mm-hmm. what you ended up paying anyways. <laughs> Why not just put five bucks and say no tips accepted? Well, I think, I mean, and that's I think it's a very good point. But it's also part of the big conversation of how confusing and how culturally specific tipping in the United States is because. The other side of that coin is the incentive for your employees to keep a smile on your face when you're not there. And I mean, I think tips in a a situation like 
you know, scoops, which already is a really quality product to begin with, but you know, it's not the normal $200 bill fine dining experience where you're tipping 20, 25%. So if somebody throws some quarters in or a dollar because the person, you know, was really friendly or helped them with some stuff. Also, they didn't feel like they didn't need to do that. They find that the ice cream is a value as opposed to being too high, you know, going up like you would have to put a mandatory price increase to pay to off. To mm, of course. I mean, like like you, can, you can go to Salt and Straw and get a $6 scoop or you can go to Scoops and get it for three fifty. And then you're like, all right, well, it's such a good deal and it's a really good product. Um, I don't feel bad throwing a buck in the jar. The problem is that you know the waiters and the waitresses can't count on their tips at a certain amount. Um, yet the employer sees it as an incentive for them to do a good job without needing a lot of scrutiny or oversight. But there's this, there's the awkwardness that you described. There's the lack of stability for the for the server. It, it's a really complicated. Um, system that keeps kind of changing, moving, and and with uh, minimum wage increases will have a huge effect in Los Angeles as they begin to take effect. But it's not; it's a really awkward, imperfect system. And what really kind of changes the conversation too is what you mentioned: is that it's becoming obligatory. The twenty it was fifteen, now it's twenty, now twenty five, now thirty. Right. Which you know also disincentivizes the server to do a good job cuz they you know they're yeah, like, I'll just get 20 that's the thing it's because it's become mm-hmm. obligatory like it it the effect that you want it to yeah. have kind of goes away yeah and so even like for if so, I'm sure and you're you're totally right like i you know i worked last night you know and i was working by myself and i'm serving a bunch of people and i don't i'm not necessarily like counting off like exactly how many cents somebody dr- leaves for a tip but when they do it's like you feel appreciated and you f- i feel incentivized i want to keep smiling and yeah i mean when you're in a hot and now that food is becoming cheaper and it has to be because um there's price competition um all these places like coffee shops and ice cream whatever it's all high volume so yeah. if you're sitting there and you're serving hundreds of people and people complain about Jelena or, you know, intelligence, like, oh man, those like those baristas are such douchebags. Well it's like, yeah, if you had to serve five hundred people over an eight hour period, it you would, just get annoyed. Uh, you get frustrated. People 100%. are like is there, you know, how many calories are in that? It's just you get super annoyed. And so the <laughs> only way to really um realize that okay i can do this is you know you get a little you get a little carrot every once in a while you get yeah you 50 sure. cents to a buck keeps you going you know if i were to pay my scoopers 20 dollars an hour just, that would never happen unless i charge like nine dollars <laughs> but if i did i don't know if they would necessarily serve better right Cause right just kind of like you know you're getting paid well so yeah you're right it's it's weird it's i don't know what's right. gonna happen it's a conversation you know, once minimum wage is 15 dollars like every you know you're gonna get you're gonna get $15 sandwiches. Yep. That's going to be the normal thing. Uh, you'll never find cheap food unless it's like just the price is just uh, the quality of the products. Frightening. Well, there's or, something. Yeah, there's something like I when I eat like a $2 banh mi, like I'm, I love $2 banh mi. You know? Absolutely. Like, oh, it's so great. And then I kind of finish it. I'm like, Maybe that shouldn't have been two bucks. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe, yeah. maybe that should have been six dollars, right? I yeah, don't know what you, meat. Yeah, it makes you think because like, you're you're like, well, a subway sandwich is like five dollars, and you feel like it doesn't get lower quality than that of ingredients, and this is half the cost of that. Like, where are they getting this food know, from? What am I eating? It's crazy. What kind of backdoor deals are they doing to get this this lettuce or you know like anything? I was I was on a road trip back. I think it was actually we talked about it on the podcast back from me camp, and I I didn't want to eat fast food, but I was starving, and I 
I was like, there was nowhere. I was in the middle of like Barstow or something. And I didn't want to go on Yelp. I just wanted to keep driving. So I was like, oh, I'll get a turkey sandwich from Subway. It's mm. not too bad. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I can live with that. Hadn't been there in a long time. I got a, like a regular foot-long turkey sandwich, which I think was a special of the day, a soda and a bag of chips, and it was like $11 and change. I was like, this... I always, like, without having going to Subway very often, I'm sure there's a way to work the system a little bit. I'm like, That's, this is not cheap food. Like a, two, like a Mr. Lee's Bon Me for $2 is cheap food, and it's great, and it's really good. I mean, but it's, it's mm-hmm. like what we consider and compare it to, it's quality. It's like, I, I guarantee the quality of the food and handling is the same in a subway with just more rules and regulations as it is at any like really cheap bon me shop in San Gabriel Valley. Mm-hmm. It's right, the same quality of product. It's just like, you know, however those so however that, the difference For me like, are. you know, I've been thinking a lot about money and the price of food and how that's going to change and to me all I'm thinking about is is it worth it? Does it satisfy me enough? Like I can go to a fine dining restaurant and spend 500 bucks or for two people and I'll be like, "Man, that was such a great deal." cuz it 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 delivered you know, mm-hmm. and that two dollar bond me delivered for two dollars, and it probably would have delivered four bucks too. Absolutely. You know? uh, but that eleven dollar subway, you're like, this it is, was. I was ridiculous. I was kind of shocked. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm really sad. I got this. Well, it's probably because the chips are like two fifty, and the right. the, However, the soda that cost them twenty five cents, whatever. It was is a deal. It was supposed to be the meal deal, and I did not get the deal. That's not, yeah, you can you could order the whole menu at McDonald's for that. No, it was it was nuts. So how's how's owning scoops going for you? Being being on both sides of the of the coin. It's good. I mean, I've actually been doing that longer than writing full time. Um, I founded Scoops Westside five years ago, uh, December first, two thousand ten, and um, coming up on the anniversary. Yeah, I, I've been trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Like, I think on the first anniversary we had like one dollar scoops, and we just got mobbed. Like. <laughs> Just destroy. Like, you maybe we'll do a special flavor. You should then. just do like one flavor has weed in it. Come on down. It's our anniversary. Can't tell you which one. Though. You're gonna have That'd to order them all. But then what's gonna happen to all the kids that come? Well, you just, they don't know. Mm, yeah, <laughs> eighteen and up. Yeah. Do you guys? Are you guys gonna do like a special flavor? I don't know. Are I you? Mean, are, do you work with the flavor development at all with with Ty? Not re- Ty is like he he's, he's a that? machine, you know. And now we have five stores. Uh, we have one in Santa Ana. That's our newest one. We have mm-hmm. Chinatown, Highland Park, um, West Side, and the original one in East Hollywood. Yep. And you know, when you got that going, you just have to. He has a system, and what he does is he essentially does fifteen to twenty flavors a day. Uh, and sometimes I'll give my input. I'm like, oh, here, here's a new combination mm-hmm. that I don't know. I'm, Dates <laughs> are in season, Ty. Something yeah. to think about. <laughs> and I'll and he'll be like, that nah, did it before. I mean, when you make 60 flavors a week for 10 years. I can't. You've imagine. exhausted every ingredient on, ingredient on planet Earth. People actually, for a long time, they would go on trips and they'd come back and bring some weird liqueur from South Africa, or and they would just bring him shit, and he would and he would make ice cream out of it. So he's just made. He's used everything at this point. You really have to be mind bending, right? To yeah, try. Well, I a remember new when he first opened, and I would talk to him a lot. I actually went and had dinner with him and a couple friends. And he was telling us about, like, he did one week where the theme was, like, stimulants. And he did a nicotine ice cream. Oh, that one's so good. You had it? I did, yeah. Where I mean, he, like, I don't... distilled down nicotine gum. Yeah, he basically infused Nicorette into milk. 
<laughs> so I mean, it was just it's just normal milk, but it's you know <clears throat> infused with nicotine, and I'm I don't I don't know anything about the legality of serving that. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, once, once you're doing shit like that, like the, yeah, the, yeah. I mean, what of... agency is gonna come hunt you down, right? I mean, that's just uh, and it's only a one off. So you basically you take you take a sample of it, and it's like taking a drag off cigarette, like right. a really f- cool minty drag off yeah. cigarettes fantastic there's no like you tried lemongrass <laughs> it's just stuff right. was like but like well he's nicorette last week so he did that with um cuban cigar and that one was not successful i i mean i smoke cigars too i really enjoy cigars yeah. but that was awful like i don't want to i don't want to eat what's the craziest flavor they've got that, uh, that you've ever seen oh man there's too many i mean the nicotine one is definitely up mm-hmm. there that's um, a good anecdote. You know, we did like, we've done a bunch of oddball ones. Like, we did some for Eater. Uh, this is before I was writing for Eater. Um, we did a pizza ice cream, mm. and it was very good. Mm. It was basically, um, I believe it was a ricotta ice cream. And he basically dried tomato powder and mixed that in, right? So you just get the intensity of tomato, slight smokiness. And he put in some bacon bits. Mm-hmm. And then he also infused some uh, basil into the ice cream. Yeah. Mm. So it's. Yeah, I mean, you put that on like a piece of bread and it tastes like pizza. Uh, it was funny because I was giving Javier shit about this because Munchies wrote this article this um, this year. Like, oh, Cool House invents pizza ice cream. And they did this huge story. And I emailed him. I was like, bro, like, what? This is not a thing. And he's like, you know what? That's something that my colleagues on the on the East Coast wrote without consulting me. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's okay. It's not a big deal. Nobody cares. Are you considering getting into more restaurant development or ownership or no? Like the the <laughs> longer I write about the industry and cover it and experience it, the less I want anything to do. Not not that I, you know, I I think that what they're doing as a service and and people who open restaurants and and make the same food every day and and serve hundreds of people like so much respect to them. You know, and I do experience a taste of that because I serve people ice cream, but serving people ice cream is like one tiny percent, mm, right. you know, compared to running a complex operation like a restaurant. And I do not want to be involved with that. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I, from I a consulting point of view, like maybe like, hey, if you want my advice on how you should brand your restaurant or how you should, uh, you know, write your menu, whatever, like that's okay. But I think opening a restaurant, like the day in and day out, is the hardest part. Yeah. And I, um, I actually went to this, um, this new Korean barbecue restaurant, Hanjeep, that that oh, opened yeah. in Culver we've City. We've been trying to, I really, been uh, trying to super plan a good. Trip. Holy crap, it's yeah, amazing. Chris, Chris O, oh, the guy from yes. Soul Sausage. Chris O oh opened it, and Stefan Bombay is the restaurateur, and he he opened a bunch of restaurants in L.A. like Pika and. Um, that name, a it's a real restaurateur name. <laughs> yeah. Stefan oh, Bombay. And, or, um, or he sells Coke. Yeah, one of them. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I was there like, like the third day after they opened, and they were like, oh man, like people were waiting three hours, and the place was mobbed. And I was, Chris just like plopped down on our table, and he was just like, I've been up, you know, since 8 a.m., I, I had two hours sleep. He just looked dead. Yeah. And I'm like, I do not want to experience yeah, that. Right. Um, it takes and a certain hard. person to do that. Yeah. So I think that um, people do ask me that sometimes. Like, hey, would you ever open a restaurant? I mean, it's not a money-making endeavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not particularly enjoyable for me. I think I'll just 
go and eat at them and pay, give them money and yeah. <laughs> go away. Like, I like that. I'm very idea. happy to do <laughs> yeah, that. It's a lot more enjoyable when you work for a company that tells you like, all right, your job is to go to this restaurant and eat the food. And great. Yeah, that part is... And you can I like support idea them much by more. writing about them and giving them exposure totally. and, and continuing the, the whole food world's growth. Right. I'm much happier to do that. So uh, let's, let's talk about Han- Hanji. Yeah. Like what's what's going on there? What is well, like what's what's unique and new and crazy about? I mean, it? they got the gold grates, gold plated grills. Yeah, that I, you know, I which I, is not that uncommon in high end Korean barbecue. I've learned. I did not know that until you told me. A, a Korean friend of mine, yeah. said like it's it's a it's no, a thing it must that not happens. be. I mean, it, it must be relatively common because they manufacture them mm-hmm. and they're they're um, apparently Chris said they paid two hundred and fifty dollars per grill plate. Wow. So it's gold plated, it's two hundred fifty dollars. They bought a ton. They bought eleven thousand dollars worth. Woo. So I was like, uh, okay, and you know, I've been high end barbecue in LA and in Korea, mm-hmm. and I guess I never thought about it until I went to Hanjeep and I went there and they fired up the grill and they just, I just threw some meat on there and it was amazing because this grill gets searing hot. And, um, which is a problem that a lot of Korean barbecue places don't have. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. the grill, I mean, even if it like it feels like it's getting hot, it's not actually searing the meat. It's just kind of like steaming it. Yep. And so you get this meat. It's like the meat's super cold. It goes on this like grill pan, and it just kind of bubbles up. You know, like yeah. the kind of mm-hmm. meat yeah, juices just bubble out. Because the meat is a millimeter thick. Right. And in order to get a sear on it, you have to cook it so high. Right. Because by the time, you know, otherwise it just comes out like a gray sweaty mess totally it still and tastes good but it's not like grilled yeah it's right. not gonna suck mm-hmm. but then when you you know we the first cut i had was a skirt steak right not not a super luxurious cut but just nice and medium beefy and it was just brown all around on the outside mm-hmm. within a couple of minutes you take that off and you eat it and you can taste the quality of that meat I and mean, i'm not trying to just trump it up i mean i'm sure a lot no, of people no, no. a lot of people have already gone there and they've you know, gotten comped, and it's kind of like this big media shit show, right? Yeah. Like, because uh, every blogger is just put on their Instagram. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, cutting through all that, if you actually sit there and you eat the meat, like, it's really good. I don't think every part of the operation is perfect as a Korean barbecue experience. Mm-hmm. As a purist, you know, the panchan and all the accoutrement that comes along with it, that's not quite there yet. I'd still give mm-hmm. Kangodong Baekchong in Koreatown, you know, the nod for the best Korean barbecue. Say that name again. Kang. Kang Hodong, Baekjong. Have you heard of Baekjong? No, no, no. And we it's are on, huge Korean fans. It's that place in Chapman Plaza. Um, they have a location now in New York City, like in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a chain, like a franchise chain from Korea, and they opened right in in Koreatown mm-hmm. here in LA. I mean, it's on Jonathan Gould's one hundred and one. It's been there for two years. No. It's, Slipping. Uh, it's hard because there's so many Korean barbecue places. Yeah. It's, on and the also, Eater, it's on the Eater 38, man. <laughs> and when you don't speak Korean, it's hard to kind of remember all of them because yeah, the Korean sure. language and the names of all these restaurants are very hard to decipher and pronounce and remember No, to, I, to, to a, a non-Korean person yeah we yeah koreans are not especially creative with their names unfortunately <laughs> at least but it sounds like wildly luxurious to somebody yeah. who doesn't right no but baekjong is like it's really what i like about the experience of it is that it's really actually pretty dingy you know and you're sitting on these stumps and that is actually a kind of 
look and feel that's from a, a district in Seoul called Hongdae. And Hongdae is basically, uh, I'm trying to think of a, an equivalent, I don't know, maybe like Westwood meets the Sunset Strip okay. in Korea. Okay. You know, okay. it's just like nightlife and a lot of, a lot of people out and about. And, mm-hmm. um, and they just got all these, like all along the sides of the street, they got Korean barbecue joints. Um, and you're sitting on these stumps, just pounding soju, uh, grilling mostly pork. Like they don't really eat a lot of beef in Korea because it's crazy expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's like t- 10, 15 bucks. That's, that's the typical like Hongdae style experience. And if you go to Kangodong, like that's what they're emulating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're getting really good quality meat. Uh, it's not cheap. I mean, if you guys were to eat there with soju and everything, $50 a head. Right. Mm-hmm. So not, you know, not particularly cheap, it's but not, it's no. not that bad at all, though. But yeah. like what they did is they dialed down like just the essentials, like just their panchan that you need. They don't have 20 different kinds of panchan. They have six, you know, and, and, and the salad and they give you this like little like candied squash. Every little piece, it's 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 a it's a perfect compliment. And then when you get the meat on the outside of it, there's a moat. Like half of it is corn cheese, which is this industrial yep. oh, cheese melting away. I've been here. Yeah, you've been there, I've right? Been there. I've been there. Yes. Mm-hmm. You probably just didn't remember the name. You probably waited two hours to eat there. I had to go there at 5.45 to get a table. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I've only actually been there past 10.30 at night because yeah. I'm not going to wait two hours to yeah, go Yeah, Koreatown now, if you go there, you know, it, it was like on a Friday or Saturday it was like that. But and now it seems like almost every night of the week, if you want to go to one of these popular Korean barbecue restaurants... Or even any Korean restaurant, you have to go at ten o'clock or at five o'clock, or else you're going to wait for two hours. Right, because they don't take reservations. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't really, they don't want to deal with that. All these Korean restaurants, they know that people are going to come. Yeah, I remember walking out of the dinner at like seven o'clock, and it, and I felt like when I used to work the door at a nightclub, and there was just a mob of a hundred people screaming like. John, party of four, please write. Like, just trying to get their name on the waiting list. Right. And you had, it took 10 minutes just to walk through the crowd. Right. I mean, but yeah. it's good. And it's really incredible to see how Koreatown's developed because I grew up in LA. And I, I, growing up, we'd go to, our family would go to Koreatown every weekend, you know, get Korean food, go to church. Like, it was just the place to be. And now it's, for everyone, it's just a <clears throat> treasured part of LA. Ugh, you know, it's, town. yeah, like, and I don't, I think it's at like first, Disneyland. I think at first, like, I started going there a lot actually in college because I went to USC and USC is five minutes away. Mm-hmm. And when you're a student, you're, you know, relatively poor, you're like, dude, all you can eat Korean barbecue, 12 bucks, let's go. Yep. And ball of soju for a buck 75 or whatever. And you no, just... soju was not cheap. <laughs> I was like, not drinking soju because I'm just like, oh, this is too expensive. Um, but like, and now, you know, I used to think, okay, this is a great thing because it's for Koreans. Like this, you know, you gotta, you gotta speak the language. You gotta know how to navigate. Like, you know, sometimes you're going through like these shady back doors to get into this Korean barbecue joint that no one's ever been to. Mm-hmm. There's no sign in English. And I loved that. And now yeah. I'm like, hey, you know, they've made Koreatown way more user friendly. All the menus are in English. <laughs> like yep. every place has valet. Uh, every place has valet for two bucks. Like it's fantastic. And I think that's good. Mm-hmm. I think that that opens up the culture. You know, and and it gives it's like it gives like in a way people like to talk about SGV right for Chinese food in LA mm-hmm. they're like oh SGV is awesome like who lives there yeah <laughs> right I mean, I mean it's true some people do but most people that are I mean a lot of people go out there on the weekend or they'll go there on a weeknight you know after traffic dies mm-hmm. out but like it doesn't feel like LA I mean it is a part of LA but it's kind of on the outskirts Koreatown's in LA 
One hundred percent. Right in the, in the dead center. Yeah, you're driving through it all the time, and um, I, I'm really happy to see it come up like that. And now with places like the Line Hotel, um, just cool nightlife spots. I don't know. I just I hope it doesn't jump the shark. That's I just don't want to I don't, get there. I, I, I can't really see that happening in in some ways. I don't, I don't think it will. You know, I, I think people like, are really starting to learn that Koreans really do it right. Just uh, I, I've I've grown up having a lot of Korean. <laughs> Koreans friends. do it right. <laughs> they just like Stewart. like well like my my best friend oh, that, I've, that I've had for a long time. He's Korean. I have a bunch of Korean friends. Everybody wants a Korean friend. Yeah, they just kind of like everything about them. They just know how to like they know how to eat. Like whenever you're like, let's get Korean food. I'm always just like, yes, yeah. Like, and it's not just like, let's go get Korean food. There's just a mil- like you can get barbecue, yeah. you can get some soup, you can get some cold noodles. You can, you know, there's a million different kinds. And then Koreans know how to really drink and party very well. Oh. And then also like they know how to handle all of that. Like when some like when his sister would go out to the club and get drunk. She would call her dad and like a guy would come and pick her up and take her home. Like, like there's a weird like underground network of Koreans where like if there's any problem, Koreans have a perfect solution for it. And they <laughs> no, figured it all out. It's funny because uh, there's always a bunch of old guys. If you go to like a, a a bar, you know, one of those like drinking places in Koreatown and there's always like old dude, they're always wearing gloves for some reason. Like the utility gloves. I don't know why. I'm like, it's like not cold outside. <laughs> they're, and they're like hawking you like boxes of like dried seaweed. And they're also giving you these business cards for taxi companies. Mm-hmm. But they're not just normal taxis. Uh, it's just this card with a number. And it's all these neighborhoods in Los Angeles uh, in Korean. So it'll be like Palencia. Or it'll be like <laughs> Roland Hills or, or, or like well, Roland Heights. And, <laughs> and it's all in Korean and there's prices. So basically what that is, if you get you know messed up and you're drinking with your friends, two guys will come. They will come, pick you up, take you home, and the other dude will drive your car home. Mm-hmm. And it's a very reasonable price. Mm-hmm. Like, if, if you have like, if you like if you live in Valencia, it's like 60 bucks. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, that a, is not bad. That's amazing. <laughs> that's an amazing like an Uber would be forty bucks, right? Yeah. So the guy's driving your car home, uh, and but they'll only give it to Koreans because yeah. that's compl- I mean that probably breaks a ton of laws and it's mm-hmm. super illegal. So. And then also there's like a weird like no creepiness underlying thing of a stranger because like somehow your dad's friend at work knows the guy or like the guy's like oh um well, what's your last name blah blah, blah. and like oh you know my uncle like. Totally, There's yeah. There's like a weird like six degrees of accountability separation. in the community. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I pretty much can like I. Th- and you it's guys like, have the hostess bar thing worked out too. Yeah, I've actually I've never done that, uh, but I've seen them. I've actually walked into a couple of the shady um, karaoke <laughs> lounges because I walk in with like a bunch of friends, like guys and girls, and and the dude at the front will be like, no, he'll just like wave me off, like no, this is not. Yeah, a yeah. regular karaoke lounge. Uh, yeah, I've been told just no before going. Like, yeah, oh, we should try that place out and just go up. And the guy's just like, "Nope, you're not yeah, coming." Like, in. Have you been here before? No. You're like, maybe you try a different place. Yeah, yeah. So, well, but I mean, I actually kind of get that they're catering to their clients. Yeah. Okay with that. I mean, they're trying to crack down on that. You know, I think uh, that's that's a big part of Korean. Uh, Koreatown culture is these after hours bars, mm-hmm. uh, and I've been to I've been to karaoke lounges where I been you know uh, they keep serving you alcohol way past two, mm-hmm. uh, and they give it to you in like you, you, I don't know if you've done that you know in teapots 
Well, I had I've it got, was I've got uh, a lot. We had like yogurt soju, so it just looks like you know, kind of like a yogurt drink, and then you get little styrofoam cups, right? Right, and um, you know, I think that's like a really cool part of LA. It's that it, it's definitely illegal, but it's also like <laughs> it's a great are you part really of LA. hurting, mm-hmm. yeah. right? I mean, unless there's just a, a slew of like drunk driving incidents and whatnot, like people dying on the streets. Like the cops didn't really cut down on it for a long time because it's like, who are you really hurting? You know, yeah. and the people that are going there, they're they're pretty much only going to serve Koreans and Korean speakers because right. they want to like cover their bases. Yeah. And now, like now, like cops are actually trying to cut cut down on it. You know, yeah. and and. I can see that, but I don't know. Like, I, I wish that I like that. Part, it was it was know? kind of yeah, a, yeah, it's yeah. a self policing system that right. has been going on forever. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 um, equivalent to the culture in Korea. Because if you go to Korea and you drink, and the reason why Koreans are just drunken people like all the time <laughs> is because they don't have last call. So like, I don't know if you. I'm sure you've been to a bar. You're like hanging out. It's one forty five, or if you're in, even if you're in New York, three forty five. Lights come last on, call, last, and everybody's like, no. Yep. That doesn't exist in Korea. You could you could be a you're not even considered a jerk if you go to a bar and you're with your buddies and you're drinking till eight a.m. You're the last table. They cannot close down on you. That's the culture. They don't close down on you. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, you, yeah, and you can go find a corner, take a nap for a couple hours, wake up, and then go back at it <laughs> again. <laughs> well, they're not. I mean, there's actually entire blogs in Korea dedicated to um, people passed out in random places. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and I experienced this for the first time. I went to Korea in 2009, most recently. It's been a while, and I was just in like Gangnam. Gangnam is like the equivalent of Midtown Manhattan, right? It's just Professional, people busy, everywhere. Yep. All busy. That. It's you know, and I was on the street. I was on the street on the corner, on a busy corner, and I saw a dude, full suit, briefcase in hand, <laughs> face down on the ground, just passed out. <laughs> Everyone's walking past him. And I'm like, what's that guy doing there? <laughs> My buddy's like, oh, he's drunk. He's passed out. Happens to us all. It's 11. Thursday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like Tuesday at like eleven in the morning. I'm like, okay. And you know, I never saw someone like so much projectile vomit. Like from from cabs in Korea, I was like, "Holy crap!" No like, way, really? no, all the time. That's two hundred bucks in Uber. So I mean, it's weird because Korea, you know, they glorify and they like, and it's such a part of the culture. But at the same time, like, man, it's starting to kind of affect the society in a really. It'll bad catch way. up with you, yeah, because it's just so prevalent. Like everyone's drinking all the time. I'm sure cirrhosis is just like rampant. They're not, nobody's <laughs> writing about it, right? Because all the liquor companies want to make sure that everyone's still drinking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, that, and that culture, like some, I, it's cool to see that some of that percolate over to, to the states and to LA. Speaking of percolate, let's talk about your coffee game. Coffee, you got you. I mean, you you have scoops, but you also do like a pretty, legit yeah, you know, coffee program. It's okay, scoops. like you know, we just do pour over coffee, and we have some espresso for affogados. But I'm not making you like a beautiful like cappuccino or anything. Yeah, but I mean, to go to like a little ice cream shop and get like a proper pour over with nice beans is is pretty awesome. It's yeah, amazing. I just I love coffee. I've been drinking it since I was 12. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad grew up in Brazil, and he was a coffee farmer. So he, Whoa. yeah, and um, when I when I got like you know old enough to buy coffee on my own, my parents were never like, no, don't drink it; it's going to stunt your growth. I mean, I'm I'm almost six foot; hasn't mm-hmm. affected my height. Yeah. My dad's six two; he's yeah. been drinking coffee since he was eight. I don't think it really affects your height. I don't know; that's just me. I, I'm, yep. I'm six nine, and I drink <laughs> at least two cups a day since I can since I can remember. I literally, if I don't drink coffee in the morning, my whole day is screwed up. It's a wash for me. Yeah. I mean, that's I'm, how I I'm, felt I'm right so now. 
until I had a shot of espresso at Proof Bakery. I was like, oh, I need espresso yeah. before doing this mm-hmm. podcast. Sunday afternoon, like, I just want to drink a beer and watch football right now. But I'm here. Sorry I about agree. that. <laughs> we'll go to Obi Bear after this. We'll catch the we'll catch the late Sunday game. That's fine. I'm down. Sick. <laughs> um, for a pour over, what do you what do you what's what's your pour over method? I know a lot of people have different moves, but yeah. like like a like a short, brief tutorial of how you like to do your pour over for somebody who's listening who wants to get into yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that uh, if you're really, really, if you're a true beginner, the most important thing is get some good beans and grind the beans, you know, right before you drink it. Um, what kind of beans do you guys do at, at Scoops? We use a lot. I mean, we constantly change. I just get bored. And uh, so we start out with Intelligentsia. Intelligence is really good, but you know, I was like, I want something different. So um, recently we've been serving Bar 9 Collective which is in Culver City. Um, we do Copa Vida, which is in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother-in-law is actually a manager and part owner of mm. Copa Vida, so you know, i got to support them. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we've done like Heart Coffee and a bunch of other ones. I think Heart's my fave. Heart's I'm a big really fan good. Of Heart. Yeah, I think, I think it's super good. I think that it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. Just use good coffee yep. and go from there, um, whatever you like. And I actually prefer. I actually make coffee every morning, and I use a clever, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of like this French press in the shape of a coffee cone filter, but it's got a valve on the bottom. So you just you grind your coffee. It's super mindless. You just grind it. You put you put the coffee in the thing, put some hot water in it, let it sit there for two minutes, and then you put it over a cup, and it just automatically drains out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Early in the morning, I do not want to think about my pour over method. That's just like, like the little. It's like a little plastic thing. That's it's a little bucks. plastic thing. Is twenty bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can use filters that you can buy at Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. I just I just tell people to start like that. You, you can know? do it with tea as well. Uh, yeah, I've never used it for tea, but I'm sure you could. You, mm-hmm. you know, um, you, you can use it to water your plants too. It's great. <laughs> uh, but if you're gonna, if you want to nerd out a little bit more, I mean, I think the two common ways um, you get a Hario V60, which is this like conical like mathematically conical uh filter and then uh you can get a kalita wave which is kind of the more uh, i guess uh like baristas are kind of liking this one a little bit more it's mm-hmm. a uh more classic like flat bottom filter um that's circular and has this really gnarly well not gnarly it's a it's a filter but it's uh wavy on the outside right so the actual filter is not touching the the edge mm. it's it's um it's only touching it at the at the tip of the wave right at the sign at the top of the sine wave right mm-hmm. so uh the, what happens is the water flows a lot better but anyways we'll go back to the hario so the hario <laughs> is this conical filter and what i like to do is you, you use a ratio of about 15 to 1 water to coffee uh and a good way to start is one ounce one ounce of coffee which is about 28 grams by weight by weight yes and you um, want to put 28 grams of coffee in there. And you add a little bit of, like, they call it like a pre-wet or like a little bit of water on top, about 50 grams, right? The bloom. And the bloom. And the reason why you want to do that is that, um, so coffee, what you're really doing is trying to take out solubles, right? It's a, you're taking out the solubles from the coffee and it, um, the water, the boiling water is what takes those solubles out. Um, the thing that inhibits that is carbon dioxide. 
Um, so you kind of want to like gas that out. So like, it's I think of it like priming the grinds so that yes. you can flow you know the coffee through it as you're as you're brewing. So once you let that happen for about 30, 30 to forty seconds, you know some people like to take a spoon and like kind of agitate it so like it falls out, all the gas falls out. I don't really think that helps. Um, mm-hmm. It could help. I don't do it mainly because I'm lazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after about 30 seconds, <laughs> then you just brew. Uh, if you have a nice, like, uh, steady pour, then you just kind of pour it in the middle. It, your exact method doesn't matter. It looks better. Like, if someone's making you a cup and yeah. wants to get tips from you, you know, like <laughs> cash tips, then they'll do it with some gusto and they'll do it with a cool little design. Um, the idea is that you want to do it in a way so the water flows through. You don't want it to be stuck in there. You don't want the the water to be stuck in the cone and like getting you know welling up to the top. Like you want the water to flow through, and that's mm-hmm. how you're getting you're you're getting a better extraction. So if you get an extraction percent, I don't I'm not like a true true barista, but I don't know if it's like eighteen to twenty percent. Then you're then you're gonna have a pretty good cup of coffee at the end. So if it's twenty eight grams and you're getting about four hundred grams of water, and you'll mm-hmm. end up with about eleven ounces of co- coffee, mm-hmm. brewed coffee. So you, so you think there's no rhyme or reason to how the water is being poured in if you do it in the middle or a circular or pattern around the sides? I, mean, I think I just think the idea is you want the water to flow through most of the coffee. So as long as you're kind of like your pour is covering most of the grinds, then you're probably accomplishing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. People have so many different theories about how that actually works. I don't care for that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> in the end, I'm just like... Does it taste good? good. Yeah. You know, and did you make a good cup? And people like to nerd out about coffee for all, like, all the wrong, like, they focus on all the wrong things. If anything, if you want a really, really delicious cup, if you have a perfect grinder, and if you have delicious water, like, if your water is calibrated in a way that's just really tasty and drinkable to begin with, then, like, probably you're going to have a pretty good cup of coffee in the end. Yeah. You know, and nobody, like, people don't think, oh, like, what's your, what's your water total dissolved solids, like, what like nobody cares about that they just yeah. use like tap water right and um that's gonna affect your coffee more but people like to you know debate the techniques of pour over or like you know whatever like the things that really matter are using good coffee first of all yeah having decently tasty water and then you know grinding it fresh yeah mm-hmm. you do those things and evenly right yeah and you do over time you'll have a tasty coffee every morning how do you brew it same way. That's Same. how I do it every morning. Yeah, I've got the Haribo 60. Yeah. It costs $9 on Amazon. Comes yeah. to your house the next day. You buy yeah. the the filters on Amazon. You get a 100 pack of them. Yeah. Super cheap. The coffee is expensive, but everything yeah. else. And then just get a, a regular electric kettle for, you know, 30 bucks or something like that. And just do a nice little slow pour. Right. Comes out great every time. You just have to get over the fact that you're going to get hooked on buying... Good coffee. But expensive yeah. beans. And well, not liking coffee out often. Well, here's, mm-hmm. here's a little pro tip. Because this, um, this is when... I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> this is what we want. So, yeah. you know, when you buy when you buy coffee at a, at a... I mean, I buy a coffee wholesale, right? From Intelligentsia. Like, obviously, you're buying at a certain price, and then you resell it. So, what, what do you normally pay? Like, $20 a bag? Yeah, for $18. for a bag of hard coffee, it's anywhere from eighteen to twenty, 49. eighteen yeah. to twenty-two bucks, probably depending on yeah. what kind. And I think honestly, like it's it's a great product that's still super expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how much coffee you're drinking a month, 
but that could be like forty bucks. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm buying I'm buying a, a pound every week. Damn, you drink a lot of coffee. But I my girlfriend as well. Okay. But also I've thanks to friends who own coffee shops, I've been able to purchase those same beans at wholesale. Yes, that's the pro tip for... I was talking to you about. <laughs> the pro tip. Get is... to know because, like, I mean, for the most part, these people that are hold like, especially especially at Scoops, like people don't go come to Scoops for coffee. They come for ice cream, and they're like, "Oh, there's coffee here." Mm-hmm. But we sell a whole bunch of bags, and like, I don't go through them fast enough. Mm. So a lot of times, like, if it's a regular or somebody that I like or just my friends, like, I'm just like, dude, just you could take it for my wholesale price. 10 bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's usually about half. Yep. <laughs> and I am like, I can digest that. Like I can, I can pay $10 for a bag of coffee. Like, mm-hmm. uh, so, and that's kind of goes back to the whole tipping thing because when, when you have a, a good little hookup system with a coffee shop where they start to give you beans at wholesale, you're more inclined to visit them more often, bring friends, bring new people, yeah, spend spend more money there because you're getting a deal on your weekly fix. Every time you go in there, you'll be like, oh, I'll 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 get a a scone or something where I normally wouldn't, or I'll you know I'll spend more money there. Right. I still think that that price though is even from a retail perspective is a little bit inflated because I yeah. mean these these shops are buying they're buying coffee anywhere between two and four dollars a pound, right? So if you think about it, the actual Good lord, I mean you lose some weight when you actually roast it. So if you have a pound of coffee going in, it comes out at like, I don't know, less mm-hmm. than that, like 75%. Like when you sear a steak. Right. Exactly. And, um, you know, so these, these shops are, they're making money. The roasters are making money. And um, when they sell, they, they're like, we're going to start selling coffee at $18 a bag. Like, mm-hmm. I guess consumers are slowly getting yeah, onto I mean, it. It's but... just like alcohol or cigarettes or something like that. Like it's, it's a product that people don't want, they need and you can charge whatever the hell you want for it. Right. I mean, I'd like to see... I guess it's just a... It's, it's sort of like with wine. Like, you don't get generally good bottles of wine for five bucks. Somebody mm-hmm. somebody might tell you, like, don't be a snob. Drink this $5 bottle of wine. I've never had a good $5 bottle of wine. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to agree with you there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I and I'm not saying there. you have to spend $100. I, I, you can have a very good bottle of wine for $15 or $18. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So, I don't know. Like... Coffee is, if you think about it, there's so little price variation, right? You were saying 18 to 22. That's a really small range, right? Whereas if you get like beer, I mean, there's beer now that you can yes. get for $10 a six pack or you can get a bottle for 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. And there's one, obviously wine has been around for a long time. So there's a huge variance. But coffee is like, no, it's only like in this tight little range. Mm-hmm. And even, it is like, really true. even like Starbucks is probably like 12 bucks or something for a bag. Right, and that's you know arguably very shitty coffee. I think it might be even more. I think I bought yeah, some to do a cold brew test a while ago, and I got like whatever their house blend was, and it was like fifteen bucks for a bag. Damn. I, was like, I mean, mm. and I don't know how if their coffee's actually actually terrible. I might just be the way that they're roasting it. Yeah, you know, it could be actually pretty decent. They're just roasting it to the way that they know how. So it's not very. Yeah, good. that's what most people say. Is it? It's, right. It's less the bean and more of them just roasting the shit out of it I'm until not sure. it's. I mean, I do know that like when you do try the <clears> things, <throat> I actually got a chance to go to Brazil last year for the Cup of Excellence. The Cup of Excellence is wow. a competition where they essentially have every um, or all these growers, coffee growers in Brazil, um, submit a lot, right? And then this jury from all over the world. I mean, it's like this who's who of like coffee buyers and coffee professionals who have amazing palates. They all sit around a room and for an entire week, they're just tasting coffees. 
it's really gnarly to be in a room with 40 people <laughs> that are just like slurping and spitting and they're just like I mean mm-hmm. have you ever heard coffee tasting like cupping yeah there's like it's this crazy sound and and uh, they do this for five days straight uh, <laughs> and so I was watching you know I was like covering it for Eater and um, the last day they were like hey we have an extra table do you guys want to like sit and taste the coffees too I was like sure and this was only this is the last 10 and the last 10 they actually rank them based on quality but in the points and I can tell you that pretty much 8 out of those 10 coffees were just some of the best coffees I ever tasted they were unbelievably good and so when you taste that range you're like oh okay like now I know like how high I can go mm-hmm. I'm okay with paying like if somebody served this brood $15 a cup totally worth it because wow. when you wow. try it, you're like, holy shit, this is amazing. It's super right. good. I guess kind of like when you go to your first like super good omakase sushi place right. where you're like, this is $100. Yeah. And then you eat it and you're like, oh. Yeah, I exactly. And you kind of can't go back to like yeah, yeah. Whole Foods. You and know? Like, <laughs> oh, like, I, I have no problem <laughs> spending this money on this on this product because it is just like that much better. Right. And so, you know, those and those end up selling at auction for $20 a pound to the roaster. Then the roasters come around, they roast it, they sell it to you for like, I don't know, $80 a pound. Yeah. Right. But that's like okay. I feel like that's okay because the quality yeah. Yeah. and those coffees are so special um, that that uh, you're willing to do it. Um, but I know, I just want to see more segmentation and like, so you can get good coffee, like just like wine, you can get good coffee for $10 a bag, $15 a bag, $20 mm-hmm. a bag. I want to see that. Yeah. You know, I could see that happening. And but you're also making the argument too that you want to see the fifty dollar and the eighty dollar bag, which yeah. Is, which you know that uh, I think it's a dope. <clears throat> yeah, it's like that's the, the that's the of more happy. interesting conversation to me, or at least the more interesting product, because you know it seems like you've got coffee bean and tea leaf in Starbucks, and then you've got like everything else in the LA, and mm-hmm. there's not a ton of like in between. There's like you can go to Groundwork, and that's a little bit better than. Right. Starbucks, but it's not like going to. It's not as good as proof. It's not going to G and B. It's not as good as going to proof. It's not going like and but all of those also there's a there's a variation. People have favorites, but a lot of the places are using similar beans. A lot of the breezes are equally talented and experienced. I mean, there's kind of like at a certain point, a lot of the best coffee in L.A. is more about where do you like drinking it or what do you live close to, as opposed to how good the coffee is. Exactly. Because there's a baseline and a ceiling to the best coffee in L.A. There is no $15 cup of coffee in L.A. that's worth it, which, you know, it's if it's what you really love, whatever that is, you always want to have the opportunity to once in a while try the best of the best. Right. Omkase Shushi is an excellent example. Um, right. And, you know, like I think it's, it's funny. Um, there was a, a news story last week that kind of annoyed me. Stumptown, they just came out with this bottle of Grand Cru uh, cold brew. And it's like fifty dollars, and it's in a wine bottle, and the the label looks like a wine label, you know, like the old, not not like the California type, like the French kind, mm. and that really annoyed me because I was like, look, coffee, you know, especially a company like Stumptown, you know, don't don't try to be wine, like you're not going to yeah. be wine. I'm sorry, wine is way better than coffee. I love coffee, <laughs> but as a beverage, wine is far superior. They've been doing it longer. People have been drinking coffee in the Western, I mean, uh, wine in the co- Western world for like. You know, twenty five hundred years. We should, we should. That should be what it is. But coffee should be something else. Like it should stand on its own. It shouldn't try to emulate. I already think cold brew kind of sucks, anyways. So don't. I mean, don't fetishize it in that way. 
But mm-hmm. maybe like, yeah, you know, find something that has a really a product that has a really good story. Um, there's actually a demitas. Have you guys been to demitas? Mm-hmm. So they're gonna start serving um, geisha coffee. So geisha is like a varietal of coffee that's just really hard to grow, but has a really really great taste when you when you grow it right. Um, they're serving a geisha that was grown in Santa Barbara. Wow. Yeah. So it's. I mean, I can't think of very many coffee-growing regions in America outside of Hawaii. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and they think they're selling it for like $15 a cup. Okay. You should go try it. I think they're starting <laughs> yeah, it I want week. somebody else to tell me it's worth it first. Oh. I, but I mean, but it's also like 15 <laughs> bucks. Like That's like yeah. a moderate price of wine, a no, glass of wine at a not, restaurant, it's right? It's not the highest it's price. It's like getting to drive a Maserati for a day or something like that. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's yeah. obviously a ridiculous amount of money for a cup of coffee, but like... Here's something where you could spend a low amount of money and get the best of whatever that thing is. Right. And it may not be the best, but it has an interesting story, right? It's from yes. Santa Barbara. Like, it's local, right? Mm-hmm. Which in L.A. we don't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, It's certainly not too cost prohibitive to make your own decision about its value and its taste. Mm-hmm. Right. There's not that entry level uh, fee like you would in wine. Like, right. this is going to be $1,200 to try. And you're like, no, nah, I can't do that. <laughs> Here's 15. It's only coffee, but it could be the best coffee yeah. of your life. Are you willing to roll those That's dice? It's, 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 those $15 you dice. Should, every once in a while, you should try the best of something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, lastly, to go back to omakase eating and eating in general, for you being the editor of Eater, how do you manage all of... like? What is it like for you in terms of getting offered free meals and being invited to all these food events and getting to try every restaurant like how how do you have to adjust your lifestyle to i mean to I, that uh, this seemingly dream gig for most people who are listening to this yeah i mean it's you know the people think that i'm a food critic uh, i'm not a food, a food critic but in a way i kind of do the same thing you know i do go out to eat all the time i go to new restaurants i go to restaurant like old restaurants that i think are worth um trying um and you know all the chefs you know all the industry people i know a lot of chefs i don't i don't know everyone but right. i i do know a good number and um you know that this is an interesting topic i think that uh as the industry grows and as more restaurants open i think 2015 i i've seen more new restaurants open than any other year that i've been reading either um these places are expensive they're expensive to build because the city of LA is especially difficult mm-hmm. um as a you know, permit type of environment. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times it's for good. Like, you know, we don't like people dying because of like shoddily built restaurants, but um, it's, it's an expensive place because of real estate and, and labor and all that stuff. Uh, so all that gets passed down to the consumer who has to pay. Now I think you're going to be hard pressed to spend less than 40 bucks on a decent meal for dinner in LA. And most of the time it's 60, 70, 80 bucks to get like a half decent dinner, like not even a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, as a food writer, it I mean, based on the amount of money that we're paid, which is I mean, I I'm full time and Eater is a is a good company. They don't they're not cheaping me out, but I don't make enough money to go to these restaurants, to go to two dinners a night and spend a hundred dollars <laughs> on dinner. Like I don't make that much money. Right, right. Um and so yes, I do get to go to a lot of preview events and uh, you know, a lot of chefs that I know personally, they're like, Hey, why don't you just come by and try something? I'll say this. I spend a ridiculous amount of my own money on food. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, it was um, 
close to twenty thousand dollars. I just I just did my taxes. I just and I tabulated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so if wow. anybody were to tell me like, you know, hey, like your opinion is affected by how much you know all these comps you're getting and all these like that's what they, we call like freebies basically in the industry. I'd be like, okay, maybe I I do get you know dishes and and this you know some meals here and there taken care of. I also spend a, a lot of my own money on dining out, and I don't feel like in general that my opinion is going to be affected affected by that. Mm-hmm. And if somebody you know comes around and says no, then I'd be like, okay, that's fine. Then if you think that my opinion is tainted, you don't have to read me. You don't have to trust my opinion. That's totally up to you, you know. Mm-hmm. And if other writers are going to be like. You know, I don't take any comps. I don't think there's there's literally not one person that does not get some sort of freebie, including mm-hmm. Jonathan Gold. Jonathan Gold, well, he is he admits on his hundred and one list that he's personal friends with Nancy Silverton. In fact, I've seen him at Nancy Silverton's house for a book signing for right. Threshold. So they're <laughs> obviously friends. And Jonathan Gold doesn't go in a moza. I mean, he might get he might pay for everything just because you know. They know he has a budget, mm-hmm. but he's still going to get special attention. I'm sure he gets stuff thrown at him all the time because the guy is not anonymous. Mm-hmm. Right. So no Absolutely. one has a perfect, uh, you know, a perfect point of view. And I think that's beside the point. Like the idea is not to be pure and a hundred percent like, um, you know, I guess unbiased, mm-hmm. uh, because everyone's going to have them. Mm-hmm. And even if you pay for everything, you're still going to have biases because you're going to be friends with the chef or you're going to, be like this is my neighborhood spot or whatever you everyone mm-hmm. has soft spots for things so i think that um as for me you know i think that i try to draw the line at certain places like i'm just not going to go to these places people sh- i get i'm not trying to say this to gloat or to like s- seem like a douchebag or whatever but i get invited to pretty much two or three dinners or lunches every day and I can't possibly go to all of them. Right. But a lot of people ask me. They just want me to go there. And I, I understand and I really appreciate that. And I feel really humbled that they're thinking of me and they, they appreciate any covers that they, they might get on Eater. But in general, like, I will go to a place and if I, if I know I'm like, getting set up, I'll just have a couple of small things. Just try them. Leave a big tip and just, and just go. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then if I really like it, I'm just going to slinker back one day. And just check it out, not tell anyone. And then I'll make an opinion, you know, based on mainly I put more weight on that time when I'm just kind of like an, sure. just anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, good for you. And I try to do that. I mean, it's obviously really hard. Like, there are certain instances, like, if I'm going to go to like a restaurant in Vegas, uh, <laughs> I mean, those restaurants are just stupidly expensive. It's yeah. amazing. You know, I, I just don't understand how you could possibly afford to eat there unless you've just won a lot of money in, in the <laughs> casino. So there are times where I'm like, okay, well, I'll check this out to see if it's worth it. But that's happened a lot less. I haven't been really going to Vegas that much lately. Um, so in L.A., you know. That's great I, news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eating in L.A. is far better than Vegas. I'm sorry. <laughs> so um, I don't need to do that. So I think as a writer and as a person who goes out, to, goes out to eat all the time, I'm mainly thinking about is this good? Yeah. You know, and at the same time, if I, you know. Whether I paid it or if I didn't pay it necessarily, is it worth it? You know, and I, I don't like a lot of people. My most my most common um, question that people ask me is always like, "Have you ever been to that secret beef place 
Do you, have you heard of this place? Uh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, I Totoraku, do. right? Yep. And um, you gotta it's bring like, a good bottle of wine. You gotta be invited. By yeah, it's like you gotta be before. invited, and you gotta bring this like bomb ass wine to go to go eat there. Uh, and it's totally underground. Well, it's a legal business. It, it is legal as an establishment. But they don't have liquor. You know, they don't have the permitting. Mm-hmm. Essential underground, and it's like two hundred dollars a person. And in my opinion, I don't care about that place. Yeah. A, I can't get in. If I wanted to, I could probably like try to find some connection, but I just don't care. And secondly, like I am not at the point in my life where I'm gonna like throw down two hundred and fifty dollars and bring a crazy expensive bottle of wine to have beef that I grill myself in front of me. Uh, maybe because I haven't experienced it yet. A lot of people I know that are like that are bloggers and that have some connection that have gone there. They're like, it's so good, you know. They rave about it, but I don't think it's. As as a regular diner, it's really interesting. Like I just don't care. Now, if the place was open to the public and you could go there and make a reservation as a normal person and you know, you could pay whatever like it was a la carte, like you could just be like, Oh, this is fifty bucks, I'm gonna just buy fifty dollars worth of food. That's cool. That's mm-hmm. more interesting. But I'm always thinking about utility for people. Like I want people to like read the website or like look at my opinions and be like, That's helpful. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's really what I care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not. This is the most expensive meal you'll never eat. That's not. That's right. not what you want to be writing about because that's totally. not accessible. To and people. like, I don't know. Like, I, I, people always wonder. Like, man, you, you tend to eat like a lot of cheaper food because I'm like, yeah, because that's what I can afford. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't go to these like places in Beverly Hills or in West Hollywood on any kind of regular basis. Well, there's also. I mean, look, I've heard of that place forever. I've read about it on you know people's blogs and in forums and stuff and. There's diminishing returns at a certain cost prohibitive level, right? <clears throat> at a certain point, that two hundred and fifty dollar, three hundred dollar a person meal, the the tax of that included is that it's a private place. You get to tell your friends. It's like big game hunting for eating at restaurants in L.A. and it's yeah. really fucking boring. Yeah, you know. And I would I, I would not turn that meal down if it was offered to me for free. I probably wouldn't go and spend the money myself, but. I can guarantee you the food that I've eaten for $50, $100. I mean, there's diminishing returns when you get to that point between spending a lot of money like at Chispaca or, or anywhere that serves great food, grilled meats at 100 bucks, 250 isn't two and a half times better than that meal you spent $100 mm-hmm. on. Right. And I think, you know, you were talking about experience. Like, yeah, if you're going to blow money on an experience, just fly to Japan. Absolutely, I you know could what I mean? not like, agree more. That is just excellent yeah, advice. Do that. Go to Japan. Have yakiniku in Japan. Like you know, we it's easy to fetishize like certain things or certain exclusive things that happen in LA. But what I'm more interested in is like, okay, is this a great experience? Can you do it? Is it you know, is it worth doing? Is it worth um, spending your time and money on that? No matter t- what the price. Exactly. And if you really, really care about that real thing, just go to the place that does it. If you really love Korean barbecue, go to Korean barbecue in Korea. Such you a know? good... Absolutely. Right? I mean, Plan actually, a trip. You know, yeah. Take some time. But it's like the, the money that you save from going to a bunch of meals over the year that are overpriced and overhyped as opposed to a small food, food vacation and eating vacation somewhere for four or five days. I mean, nothing compares. Where you soak up more than just the food. That's right. (laughs) I have a question about Eater because, and you did mention that you're less, you are less a food critic. 
and more of kind of a informative source for all things from food to what's happening in restaurant spaces and articles on neighborhoods. I mean, it's a much broader thing, much more interesting thing to me a lot of times too. But because you cover kind of industry as w- along with food, do you ever get people upset how you heard information or kind of get in your face when they see you about things that they may have seen published? Because you're, I, I could be wrong, but my experience reading Eater is that you're not out for blood. You are not trying to take people down. You're t- kind of giving out information on what's happening, what's exciting, and what's new. Yeah, I think the editorial voice, like Eater's always been a little bit more brash, you know, a little bit less formal than, you know, the LA Times right. or, you know, a magazine. And that flexibility, that kind of like, I don't want to say casualness, but not taking it too seriously mm-hmm. um, is is kind of diffusing, you know, and 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 kind of puts the the whole industry and the whole area of food in perspective. Like in the end, like there's a range of people that are like they just obsess over food um, to the point of just being ridiculous and argumentative about things all the time. And then there's like you know there's like new like kind of like lifestyle foodie person that's like Instagramming. Like I I think that in the end, Eater is just about giving people helpful information that's fun to read. That's entertaining, you know, and that's written in a way, I hope, that's just a little more off the cuff, you know, uh, because I think that we're all a little bit tired of reading the frou-frou, like super elegant. Like that's the classic food writing approach, right? To be like to be like um, MFK Fisher, right, who's like this god in the food writing world. And she just – the way that she writes and talks about food is so like reverential. And it's like, dude, sometimes you're just like – just eat this taco. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> you know, like, we're so, there's nothing wrong with that. And at the same time, you know, you could talk about how great a certain chef or a restaurant or approach is. Like, it's just, we're just trying to be a little bit more um, everyday and helpful. And, um, yeah, I don't know. That's, I don't know if that really answered your question. Yeah. No, it did. But, it did cover some of it. But do you ever get the, the oh, other like, so like, sorry as a response to like people like people, where'd you, you find know, that out definitely you, like, uh, oh yeah like we have a lot of informants you know yeah. and people love to like feel like they're the insider that gives us information yeah and i get so many tips and i have to filter through them and like there's even like crazy strange people i don't even know they have they get my number somehow and they just text me and they're like they tell me all this stuff and there was this one guy last year i have i don't even know who his name was but he um, restraining order, Joe. <laughs> told, oh my God! It was almost like I had to get a restraining order. I'm not <laughs> kidding. And um, he he would basically give me these tips, and like a month later, I would actually um, I would follow up on them and write about them. And then he would be like, "Hey, how come you didn't give me credit? Or how come you didn't, um, you know, tell me uh, uh, write text me back to tell me thanks for the tip that I gave you? You know, it's these like crazy readers that are that are trying to." Um, I don't know, have some sort of influence on me. Right. And I'm just like, I don't owe you anything, and you're being a creep. So I just have to block them. <laughs> well, uh, and he's then, probably listening to this right now. So prob- tell, yeah, I don't know. Shit. I mean, maybe he's outside he right now. Outside he'll help me right down. Now. Take me, hack me down or something. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the other, like, you know, sh- a lot of chefs are like, there's, I write a lot about sensitive information, you know, like restaurants closing and people getting fired or people, you know, drama and TMZ shit, you know, and, I have to, I actually, a lot of times now we've been instructed to 
run things by my editors, you know, in New York or, you know, at headquarters, just so we can kind of weigh in and like, okay, is it worth writing about? Is it verified? Like, is this the right time? Is this the right place? Because we want to, we want to be a kind of resource that people can trust and people can, um, and you know, not, not be like, okay, this just be jaded by, like we want people to like, um, read the website and, and, and be okay with what they're reading. Um, and so sometimes there's information or, or news that I have that's really, um, you know, just really weighty or really, uh, scandalous or whatever. Like some people even write that in like, Oh, I saw the chef like sleeping with this, whatever, like walking out doing blow. I'm like, I don't care. Like that's not like <laughs> right. leave that to TMZ. But who was it? Uh, <laughs> uh, what did Ludo do? <laughs> I promise you, I did not. Nothing. Nothing like that happened. <laughs> um, so I guess to I'm, I'm kind of rambling, but no, no, the no, point not, is no. the point is that there's a lot of information, and my job is to filter out okay what's relevant, what's truly important, and what's accurate. What's what's accurate? Yeah you know verify it's obviously a little bit harder sometimes i gotta run on rumors and we'll write a story that's like a rumor and it will usually won't be like like last week we knew i knew for sure that chago was opening inside the whole foods in downtown i knew it i just and and but i bugged their their publicist i was like i know this is true and we're gonna write a story what's your comment and then they were like they dodged me and then she didn't really get she's like I have no comment. I can't tell you anything. So we wrote the story a day before, and we just said, "Is Chago opening inside Whole Foods?" Question mark. You know, and that's the, the, <laughs> basically like my way of saying it is opening in there. Right. Exactly. So that's really that's the best we can do. I like it. I like reading it. <clears throat> like a real reputable news source. Yeah, you know, it's a publication. Yes. Not yes. a food blog. Yeah. I mean, I think people. Uh, I get a lot of flack from a lot of chefs and a lot of writers because they're like, "Oh, eaters such bullshit," or it's such, it's you know, so gossipy or whatever. And that's we've had an uphill battle, you know, to try to establish, uh, like, you know, just I guess uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of the word like reliability, you know, and authenticity. And um, it, it's hard because we 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 have in the past been a little bit more gossipy yeah uh so we're so now you know we're publishing long form stories like we're trying to be just kind of like straight and narrow because we want people to um not lose that perception it's it's hard it's still hard i still get chats are like no like i'm not going to give you any any scoops because you guys are ridiculous and i I hate your vibe right and like okay if i'm not going to change your opinion if you can't look at the website and change your opinion then I don't know. What else can I really do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I hope that, like, if people read Eater LA or if they read any Eater site, they're looking at it because they trust it and and um, they know that if they read that, then they're probably going to have the information before all their, all their other friends. <laughs> there you go. Keep fighting the good fight, Kang. Well, thank you for doing this. Yeah, thank you. It was nice chatting. Um, people can find you on social media at Matt, Matt Atui. Yes, Matt Atui with two T's, like Ratatui. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Uh, on Instagram and Twitter. And then check out eater.com. Uh, la.eater.com. Mm-hmm. Is Don't the check out Denver. Name. Just, just, yeah. <laughs> or you can go there too if you're flying to Denver. Uh, but yeah, or just Google search Eater LA and you'll find us. Sweet. Um, and you can go to, the stew for all the episodes you can follow us 
Or you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter and all that at them jeans. Andre Conaparo does not have social media. I do not. And if you like the show, tell a friend, subscribe on iTunes, give us a nice rating and review, and we will see you next week. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Thank you.